Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. morning. It is Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup, and I am your host, Gene Wilhelm, and uh, we are going to have what's going to seem like an all-Central Texas show today. Uh, we've got John Prashada uh, that we're going to talk to right now about an event that's coming up in the Waco area, and so uh, we're going to talk about that first, and then we'll talk about our saint of the day and some other things that are happening in the area. John, good morning. Good morning, Gene. Good to be with you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, you've got an event coming up on the uh, 12th of, uh, of September, which is, uh, what, just four days away? Right, this Saturday. Okay, tell us about what and, that is. Well, uh, in way, it's going to be our biggest event of the year. Okay, in, well, I'm in, sorry, in I should have asked you, I should have asked first what, what uh, organization you're with so that we can, so people well, can get okay, I'm with Okay, I'm with Pro-Life Waco. Okay. okay, we're an active uh, group in Waco battling abortion and battling pl- Planned Parenthood. And uh, this event is uh, it's part of a national uh, campaign and event. It's a National Day of Remembrance for Aborted Children. And it's going to be happening in 160 cities across the nation. And here in Waco, it's going to be happening. The address for the venue will be 4720 North. 19th Street near McLennan Community College, and uh, we're going. It's an hour and a half event, beginning at nine o'clock and ending at ten, ten, uh, ten thirty. And we're, we're going to have a, a speaker, Heather Hobbs from Save the One Ministry, and local speakers and music and prayer as well at uh, at, a, at a lovely venue. Okay, now is Heather a, a local person, or is she coming in from out of town? Uh, she she actually lives in in Louisville. She moved just uh, immigrated uh, to. To Texas from uh, Oregon recently. Yeah, good, good time to do that. Oh yes, it sure is, and we're happy to have her here. So our listeners at in at KEY KYAR ninety eight point three FM in the Waco area uh, will have an easy time getting there, uh, won't they? Oh yes, yeah, and and I want to invite people from the, your broader area. Come, okay, come up from College Station. It's going to be okay. quite an advantage got a big tent to keep everyone the sun shielded and and the rain away if that if that should happen well that that sounds great so our listeners on kedc at 88.5 fm in the brazos valley are able to get there it's, it's just an hour and a half up uh high right. six uh our folks right. in palestine uh at uh, kinf 107.9 it will be a little bit farther drive for you but it might be worth the effort when you hear what all is going to happen john tell us a little bit more about what's going to happen well we're in addition to recognizing as nationally uh, to honor those who have lost and and it's uh, the number of abortions nationwide is uh, 60 million since roe v wade and 20,000 of those were lost in waco but we also are going to be celebrating something uh, with the pandemic, uh, Planned Parenthood abortions in in Waco have been suspended for the last six months. 
So we certainly count that as a blessing, but the uh, non-abortion business is open. So we're still out there in sidewalk counseling. We'll have a 40 days for life uh, campaign in Waco, as I think you are in college station as, as well. So it's, it's a time of, uh, of uh, remembrance and a time of motivation that uh, we have this battle uh, that, that we continue to wage and, and stand boldly for the precious little ones and their moms. I'm sorry. Uh, it, so it's it's going to be a, a, a celebration in a way. But in it's a way? Also, in, you're going to be celebrating uh, the entry of these uh, aborted babies into heaven, but you're also remembering them and, and with sorrow that they were aborted in the first place. Right. And, and that, that today we do not have the shedding of innocent blood going on from week to week in Waco, and we have not for six months. Well, that is, that is good that news. That will continue. That, yes. that is good news. Okay, so that is good news. Uh, if somebody wants to get more information or get involved with either uh, Pro-Life Waco or 40 Days for Life in Waco, how would they go about doing that? Well, m- let me give my telephone number and email address, which is real easy. Well, it's 254 254- Six four four zero four zero seven, and uh, in this uh, email is uh, prolifewaco at gmail dot com, and uh, love to have participation in in forty days for life from the from the broad air uh, area uh, that for which uh, Waco is the closest abortion. Uh, facility, uh, which includes uh, Bryan College Station as well. John and, is... Uh, uh, this is the regional center. John Thaddeus here. As we're wrapping up with you. Now, I know that for, uh, Pro-Life Waco is famous for those great uh, Italian Saturday suppers, right? Are, are, have you started those up again? Sunday. Sunday suppers, Sunday excuse suppers. me. Once a month on Second Sunday. We have not started them up, but I'm going to be making an announcement regarding spaghetti and meatballs at our event this Saturday. Okay. So There's reason enough. The That's also a reason to come out to it, right? Hear that announcement about yes. those famous spaghetti and meatballs. Yes. 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 Okay. So, John, yes. one more time. Tell us what the event is and when it is and where it is. Okay. National Day of Remembrance for Aborted Children in Waco. The address is 4720 19th, North 19th Street. And we began sharply at 9 a.m. in the morning and end sharply at 10.30 and have some time to visit under the tent. Okay, thank you so much, John. I appreciate your coming on the air and sharing this with this, uh, this with us. It's, it is really a time to celebrate that there has, have not been any uh, abortions in six months in Waco and a time to remember these small children that were ripped from their mother's wombs. John, I, I will be praying for the success of this event. We may have to do a follow-up uh, later on to find out how it went. Okay. Thank Happy you so much for it. being on the air, John. All right. Thank you so much. Ciao, Paisano. See you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. So we've. Uh, that's a very uh, good event to have. And, again, his the uh, email, if you want to get more information, is prolifewaco at gmail.com. Uh, we have a couple of interesting saints for today mm-hmm. uh, on September 9th, and uh, there, there's a whole list of them, but these are the two I've chosen. One is St. Peter Claver, Claver, pardon me, who was Spanish, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he was a Jesuit. Yes. He was from Barcelona. Yes. And he ministered at uh, 
I, I can't. Cartagena. Cartagena. I can Cartagena, never say Colombia. Colombia, which uh, he didn't minister uh, to drug addicts at that time, which he would be doing if he were there today. Mm-hmm. But he was ministering. Uh, he would go onto the slave ships. Yes. Uh, so, and, and, and part of this uh, is his background. Uh, uh, he took his first bow- vows on August 8th, 1604, and he studied under St. Alphonsus Rodriguez uh, and was influenced to go to the Indies by him. And if I remember right, St. Alphonsus Rodriguez was one of the original Jesuits. Ooh, what's I'm trying I'd to, have to check that. I don't I'd know. I'd have to check that. I don't remember. Anyway, he he would go on and he would minister to the slaves that were being brought into Cartagena yes. and uh, minister to them spiritually, physically as well. Indeed. And uh, he, he did a lot of work there. And he uh, there are a lot of African-American Catholic parishes that are named for him. I remember uh, when I was uh, uh, living uh, up in Kansas, there was one there. Yes, and the... Um the famous African American Catholic fraternal order is the Knights of St. Peter Claver. Oh, that's correct. I yes. forgot about that. And Thank they you have for a ladies' auxiliary that. as well. The other saint that we have for uh, today, well, it's, it's blessed, it's Anton Frederick Ozanam. Uh, he was, he, his, uh, he died on September 8th, 1853, and he was a French literary scholar. He was a lawyer. Hmm. He was a journalist and an equal rights advocate, of all things. Mm-hmm. He founded with his fellow students the Conference of Charity, later known as the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Aha. Uh-huh. So he is a founder of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, Correct. which, gosh, I mean, we have a very active chapter here in Bryan College Station. I'm sure they have one in, in, in Waco uh, as I'm well. sure they do, Waco, and, and I'm sure they have one in Palestine. We'd love Tip- to learn about... It's activities in Palestine, right? Gene, you wanted to yes. say something about making invitation. I was going to say invitation. something about that. I, I have not interviewed anybody from Palestine except one time, and I think I've been on the air five or six years now. I don't remember. It's been a long time. Uh, I wasn't any better looking then than I am now. But Well, we don't need to talk about that. No, we don't. But, um, but I would really appreciate if you would contact us, and, I, and you can do that by emailing info at redsearadio.org. Indeed. Indeed, you can. And uh, so, and same thing goes for our listeners in Central Texas uh, on KYAR 98.3 and here in the Brazos Valley at KEDC 88.5. I like to interview people that are locally, and I've just about run out of friends, if you can believe that. Well, we don't. Again, we also don't need to talk about that, Gene. It's it's kind of a difficult subject, you know. <laughs> um, but speaking of getting getting down to the the parish level and finding out about what's going on at parishes, um, you wanted to mention that there are still uh, parish drive through events, and then also kind of give our listeners a little preview of who our guest is going to be in the second half of the show. Okay, uh, there are still if if I've looked at several of the. Uh the uh, bulletins for the parishes within our listing area, which you can find under resources. The at resources Red's, tab. Mm-hmm. The resources tab at redsearadio.org. Most of these are modified fall festivals where maybe it's drive through for the food or, <clears throat> pardon me, or you buy a raffle ticket for whatever it is to support that parish. 
I would suggest you go to redsearadio.org, look at the resources tab, and then it's it's divided basically into two separate uh, divisions, one for Brazos Valley, one for Central Texas. Yep. Find a parish that's in that's convenient for you, if even if it's not your own parish, and perhaps you can get a good meal and uh, help support some good Catholic activities. Yeah, and bring that parish life back slowly yes, but does. surely. Mm-hmm. I know uh, we attend St. Mary's here in College Station, mm-hmm. and... Uh, there's slowly but surely there are people coming back mm-hmm. uh, to, to church here. Well, not slowly because there's a lot of people that attend the 10 o'clock mass, and it's so much so that there have to be two 10 o'clock masses right now, and I'm yep. guessing that there will be three before too much longer. Yep. So preview our guest for us in the second part, and then let's wrap up with talking about our two big Red Sea events coming okay. up. Okay. Our guest, or my guest, or our guest will be Father Timothy Vavrick who is the pastor of St. Mary's of the Assumption in West. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're going to really en- enjoy the interview with him and what he has to say. Uh, I was amazed at uh, his depth, not only of his knowledge, uh, but his experience, as well as his ability to relate to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just really interesting, and I think you're going to really enjoy this. I thought you were going to talk about the depth of his voice there. That's, I didn't well, know kind of quite his, where you were going. No, he, well, he's not a soprano, let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. Or, so that's in the second part, <laughs> Father Timothy Fabric. And so let's talk a bit, bit about uh, the benefit dinners to wrap things up. Sure. So um, coming up first in Waco, Central Texas area on October 8th, Thursday, October 8th, is our K-Y-A-R, long postponed benefit. Usually it's in the springtime. Had to push it back to October. It's going to be at a different venue as well, so we can spread out some more, give people more room, um, go above and beyond those CDC distancing guidelines at the KC Hall in West. In West itself. Knights of Columbus Hall in West is going to be there. We're pretty much... Full up. I mean, we're right there at, at capacity. There might be a few more uh, seats available, so you can still go onto the website, redcradio.org slash benefit slash benefit for Waco, and get yourself a ticket there. It's going to be a rip-roaring good time. We're going to have Dr. Michael Foley speaking on five ways to drink like the saints. He's going to be our keynote speaker. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then he's going to come down a month later on November 12th to Bryan College Station and speak at our KEDC benefit dinner, which also is having a venue change at the Brazos Center on Briarcrest in Bryan. Also a larger... Oh, the Brazos Center. At the Brazos Center. Which is behind the Target store. That's right. That's right. We're also going to a larger venue there so we can spread out, put nine feet between tables, five people per table, and have a great, safe gathering to celebrate Red Sea Catholic Radio and to learn how to drink like the saints with Dr. Michael Foley. Well, we just have a few seconds left before the break. Uh, On the other side, we'll have Father Timothy Vavrick, and uh, hope to see you then.
Good morning and welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm. And right now we're going to interview uh, Father Timothy Vavrick, the uh, pastor at St. Mary's of the Assumption Church in West. And those of you who are out in the central Texas area listening to us on KYAR, I anticipate that you may have some comments to give Father uh, Timothy or maybe a question that you've wanted to ask him. Uh, I would invite those of you listening on KEDC 88.5 in the Brazos Valley to do likewise, as well as KINF 107.9 FM in Palestine. And that number for you to call is 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That is 855-683-7332. Good morning, Father. Welcome to the program. Well, good morning. Thanks for, thanks for having me. I I, I, as I just really appreciate your being here. Uh, we talked, I don't know, it was a week or two ago, and uh, I just I found uh, what you what we talked about very interesting. Your early life uh, is is something that uh, maybe some of us wish we had, and some of us wish we hadn't. I don't know, but tell us a little <laughs> bit about uh, your early life. You you grew up in San Marcos, correct? Yeah, San Marcos is uh, is home, and um, I'm the second of uh seven children um we were raised in a certainly an intentionally catholic home but um not one which would probably be might be described as like um uh, overly pious um we went to mass on sundays um we talked about the faith at home um we generally um, especially when I was younger, we prayed as a family at night, and um, certainly during Advent and Lent, um, we had family prayers together. Um, but um, but we watched uh, television, and we were involved with the events of um, daily life. Um, I was born in 1960, so uh, my early my earliest memories I can remember before the mass was in the current English form. I don't remember it in the the old mass at all. I wouldn't um, think so. And that was a time of um, a time of turmoil in the late '60s and early '70s, and certainly in the country and in the church. Um, but my parents, I was very blessed. My parents um, both had had really solid Catholic educations, um, and um, although it was a turbulent time, my parents kept the focus um, on the content of our faith and the reverence with which we worship God. They were unconcerned about whether Mass was in English or Latin, or whether guitars or organs were being used. Um, they were focused on what is the reverence with which we are uh, gathered together to celebrate the uh, mystery of Christ's um, saving love and um, and the reverence that we then showed for the, the celebration of the sacraments. And so that was very helpful in life. They get um, tied up in other incidental, uh, although it can be important, but all things considered incidental aspects of the changes that took place. And you uh, lived very close to something that had a great influence on your life a little bit later on. Uh, well, San Marcos is a pretty small town, so <laughs> uh, the church was relatively close. Um, um, I was, we were right next to the, to the university. Which at that time was called, what was it? Uh, Southwest Texas State. Southwest Texas uh, State, right. Yeah, Switzu or SWT in those days. Now, uh, the more elegant name of uh, Texas State University. Um, so, yeah, so I graduated high school there at uh, San Marcos High School, uh, the, um, the Fighting Rattlers. And um, then um, just um, actually would walk or bike uh, to, um, to college. 
I took a undergraduate studies in uh, physics and math. Um, you, you couldn't find anything more difficult? Well, there were certainly things more difficult. There weren't any things that were particularly um, that much more interesting um, uh, for me at the time. Um, so, um, yeah, as I came toward the end of my undergraduate, I had to decide what to do for graduate work because um, you're not going to get very far with a bachelor's in mm -hmm. physics and uh, tried to discern what I, what I should best do. Um, at that point, um, somebody had suggested something about the priesthood, but that had never been on the, on the radar. Now, in my family, we'd have priests and religious going back generations, you know, in, in the family one way or another. Um, and priests were always welcome in our house, but I just was not particularly, didn't feel any particular call to that. Um, but something and, changed in uh, your life, didn't it? Uh, well, I mean, the idea was planted, but um, I, I, I wrestled with it for a little bit, uh, and finally, um, uh, in prayer, I told the Lord, well, listen, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years old. If um, I've never thought about this as being uh, the call you have in my life, so I can't be jumping at shadows. Um, somebody said something. Um, that's all in your hands. I'm going to move forward um, in this direction because um, I've been... I've been at it for a while. I've been prayerfully considering my life. I don't have any particular reason to change. So um, if you want something different, you have to make it happen. Uh, and I prepared to go to graduate school at the University of Texas in Austin. Well, that's a pretty um, a mature prayer that you prayed. I don't think there are some, a lot of people that maybe are the age that you and I are that are able to pray that yet. Well, I don't know how mature the prayer was. I, I, I uh, rather um, comically... Uh, told the people who were closest to me that I had got over a barrel uh, <laughs> because if he wanted me to do something else, he was going to have to make it happen. I wasn't going to be looking for Bible verses or um, um, or some kind of sign or signal. Um, he just had, he knew he knew how to get a message through to me, and he'd have to make it clear to me. I, am, um, I I I always jokingly say that there's a particular place in Dallas where I met with people that there are a set of black heel marks down the hall where God would drag me where He wanted me. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so as it happened, just a few weeks before I graduated, um, it was, became very clear to me that um, I needed to uh, enter the seminary, um, and um, so I did. Um, it was a different time. I, I, that was on um, July, or around July 20th of 1980. I would be ordained five years later on July 20th, um, and. Um, School was starting up with about a, within a month uh, in August um, up at University of Dallas, uh, Holy Trinity Seminary, uh, and I completed the entire entrance um, requirements uh, to the seminary for the Diocese of Austin in, in less than a month. That's pretty amazing. It could not be done now. No, no. I, I'm just curious. What was your parents' reaction to your telling them that you wanted to go to the seminary? I mean, my parents would have said, who's going to pay your, your college uh, loans? <laughs> Well, yeah, but fortunately, in the Diocese of Austin, that's um, really never been an issue. Excuse me, I don't know what's going on nowadays. In those days, that was never an issue. Um, I, one, I didn't have – yeah. So tuition was a was a fat $200 a semester in those days oh, yeah. for tuition and fees. So I had no debt from, 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 from college. And the Diocese of Austin, through the Clerical Endowment Fund, at least in those days, um, uh, no one was on the hook if they – uh, with the diocese, 
So if you, you they, cause they didn't want anybody staying in the diocese because they were afraid of like the money that it piled up. Mm-hmm. So um, those things were not considerations at that time anyway. So you, you, my parents were my parents my parents' position was it has always been do whatever it is God's calling you to do. That's amazing. Um, that really is. There are a lot of parents that are not quite that open to God's will. Yeah. Well, my parents never were of the mindset that all we want you to do to be is to be happy in life. Uh, because, um, well, in a fallen world, people are happy about all kinds of things they shouldn't be happy over. Um, so my parents were quite explicit that um, um, what they wanted is that we would do what God wanted us to do with our life, wherever so, that led us. So you spent your, what is it, four, five years in at Holy Trinity, and then you moved on? No. So um, I was in what's called pre-theology. Um, so Seminary is broken down into two halves, college and theology. Four years mm-hmm. of college, four years of theology. Um, the four years of college in general, classically, that would be a bachelor's degree in philosophy, some church history and some language stuff, and then the four years of theology. Well, having graduated with a degree in physics, I didn't have a lot of philosophy classes. Yeah, most physicists stuff. don't minor in philosophy. Right. So, um, so I did a year of sort of um, leveling work, catch-up work, um, and took a whole bunch of philosophy classes and some church history and stuff to get ready to begin my four years of theology. Mm-hmm. Then, as it happened, as that first year was drawing to a close, uh, to my surprise, I didn't even, I didn't even know about such things, uh, the bishop um, asked me to um, uh, do my theology studies in, in Rome. That's a long American ways from theology. San Marcos. It is a long way from San Marcos. This is the, this is the one downhill side of the whole thing. Um, so I still had young siblings at home that were like eight and ten years old, and I was going to be gone for except for one summer. I was going to be gone for the next four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was the down that was the downhill side. The uphill side was I was in Rome and I was in Europe. Uh, it was the first Reagan administration. The dollar was as powerful as it has ever been since uh, the Second World War, and we were able to uh, travel um, cheaply, which was good for students, um, and therefore able to ch- travel widely. So, um, so what de- degrees did you get there in Rome, and 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 were they equivalent of a master's and a PhD, or were they master's and a PhD, or the ST? What were they? Yeah. So. Um, in the United States, we do a four-year program, and it ends in a, some sort of a master's. Uh, in Rome, that work is done in three years, and it leads to what's called a um, bachelor's in sacred theology. Um, and then the fourth year of seminary uh, in Rome, you're beginning um, an advanced degree um, called a licentiate, and you specialize in a certain field. Mm-hmm. Um, and I specialized in dogmatics. Okay, and for um, and for those of us uh, that are listening that don't understand what dogmatics means, and I had a very bad pun about that, which I won't use, uh, because uh, Thaddeus is grimacing here. Explain what dogmatics are, or is. Uh, dogmatic theology is the study of uh, basically church teaching. You could also have specialized, for instance, in scripture. Mm-hmm. You could um, specialize in moral theology. You could specialize in canon law, church law. Um, there's some other fields, but um, those would be the broad fields, and then doctrine or dogmatics. Um, okay. And that's what I, I began my studies with. And so what what degree did you end up with there? Well, um, at the time, I 
did my first year of my advanced studies. Later in life, um, I was able to complete my doctorate. Um, uh, in the 90s, I was um, able to complete my doctorate in um, uh, dogmatics with a specialization in ecumenical studies, which is the study of different Christian churches um, or communities and um, how they understand things versus how we understand things as Catholics. I did a, a specialized study in the Southern Baptist and Roman Catholic understanding of the church, um, which, which made good sense since, you know, I'm from Central Texas. So. Right, right. Right. Uh, and you, you made some friendships there, and we're going to talk a little bit later about how some of those friendships affected uh, when you had been a priest for a while. So so you, were, when were you uh, ordained? Were you ordained in Rome or were you ordained in Austin? I was ordained a deacon in Rome, and then um, the next year came home in 1985 and was ordained at the cathedral by Bishop, uh, Bishop Harris. Um, and began my uh, priestly ministry at St. Louis Parish in Waco, um, 1985 to 1987. Okay, there's your aside from about four years, um, I've been in the Waco area ever since. Okay, now, people in Central Texas uh, listening on KYAR 98.3, this is your opportunity to talk to Father Timothy. Uh, He's been in that area for a long time. And maybe you want to say hello or ask him a question or something. And that number for that is 85-LOVE-RED-SEA, 855-683-7332. And I'm not trying to exclude you listeners on KEDC 88.5 or those of you who are listening on KINF 107.9. Father Timothy is an interesting man, an interesting priest. Uh, Give us a call. And so so you, you had four years... You, you you ministered first to St. Louis and Waco, and then what happened? Um, then I was uh, given my second assignment as an assistant pastor down in the lovely city of um, Brenham in Washington County, um, and was there for about a year and a half. Um, and then, so when we were ordained, there were seven of us ordained for the diocese, one of the largest ordination classes in, in history. Um, and of the seven of us, um, I was the last one made, uh, put in charge of a parish, um, and that was um, after I'd been ordained um, three and a half years. So there were very few extra priests in those days. Um, and I was made administrator out in San Saba and Goldthwaite, okay. um, which was turned out to be a short assignment for me of about six months. Um, and what and interrupted that I, assignment? I got a, um unusual... Um, request for my services um, with the Diocese of St. Marin in Brooklyn, New York, which is the um, was then the only diocese in the country for um, the Lebanese Catholic Maronites. Um, and um, so I worked in the chancery office, um, the bishop's office up there so what, for three what, years. What was your role there in the chancellor's office? Chancellor's well, it was office. a very small um, bishop's office. There was the bishop, there was the vicar general, the chancellor, myself as the uh, vice chancellor and eventually finance officer. Um, And then there was an executive secretary um, and two um, uh, bookkeepers. That was the entire chancery staff, the whole bishop's office, all of it. Um, So anything that had to be done in the diocese, we had to do it. Being uh, the chief financial officer for a diocese is a long ways from physics, 
and a long ways from dogmatic theology. How in the world did you end up there? And in Brooklyn, of all places. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Yes. I, I can understand I, a I Texas saw, boy I, in Rome, but not in yeah, Brooklyn. Right. I saw as much of uh, New York City as I ever needed to see the day I flew to Rome. It was a clear day. We made the landing coming across lower Manhattan, going into Kennedy Airport. I saw the World Trade Center's Chrysler Building, Empire State Building, Brooklyn Bridge, and Statue of Liberty, and that's all I needed to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I had to go and live there for three years. Um, I knew God has a sense of from. humor. He does. He does. Um, yes, I, I initially was telling everybody they were crazy for living up there. Then I realized, no, no, <laughs> tell them to stay there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that craziness in Texas? Yeah, you don't want that craziness in Texas. Stay away from us. Um, so I knew some of the guys um, from the Maronite Diocese. Uh, they were in school um, uh, with me in Rome. Uh, and um, so somehow my name had come up, and um, they asked for my services. Yeah, it sounds like an exalted position, um, chief financial officer, um, um, but somebody had somebody had to be like overseeing that aspect of things. It's not something I took care of all by myself. But what, the finance council. Wh- and, why didn't okay, they have somebody in a Maronite right do that, Father? Well, um, because um, if you have. Uh, Priests who can speak um, ancient Syriac and celebrate Mass um, in the Maronite Rite, which is different from the Latin Rite. Uh, the, the way we worship in Europe is not exactly the same. They didn't speak, never spoke Latin over there in the Middle East. Um, so their way of doing things are the same sacraments, but they do them in a different way. Um, and that's pretty precious um, um, gifts. So um, taking one of their priests out of a parish um, would be, um, I mean, that that would be hard to replace. So they didn't Find have enough priests priest to go. They and, didn't have enough priests to go around, and and you were selected because you might be available. They had enough priests to go around, and they did, but they didn't want to be taking priests unnecessarily out of their parish um, ministry mm-hmm. to to mm-hmm. to do the governance. Um, and it was a position that needed to be a priest, but it didn't have to be a Maronite. So, mm-hmm. but I had what's known as. Um, I had a bi-ritual faculties. I was given permission uh, to celebrate Mass in the, the in that form, and I would do so when we had uh, functions. So but, you, um, you actually said Mass in Syriac. Uh, well, yeah, in ancient Syriac, I want to call it very late, very late Aramaic, but yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that, that should have been a challenge. Well, it, it, it was. Fortunately, I only ever con-celebrated. Um, Part of the liturgy was in English. Words of consecration were in the in the mother tongue, and so I had to learn how to pronounce those words. Yeah. When we spoke a couple of weeks ago, you you mentioned how uh, being that CFO for the Maronite Diocese prepared you for some of your future assignments. Well, working in the chancery office in general as the vice chancellor, just being there um, uh, prepared me because and for a number of things, but. The biggest thing was that the buck stops at the bishop's office. That doesn't just mean, you know, okay, he's ultimately responsible. Certainly he is. But on a practical level, it means, like, if you're in a parish and you're getting a financial jam, I mean, the diocese has got got your back. Mm -hmm. But if you are the diocesan office, (laughs) no one has your back. So how the investments are being done... um, how, ins- how health insurance and property insurance is being chosen, how problems with parishes and problems with priests um, are being handled. 
um, there's no one else going to make those decisions other than the bishop. Uh, and so we have to be in a position to be given the bishop um, solid <laughs> solid information and solid suggestions. So you did a lot more than just make sure that uh, the finances were correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We did everything that had to be done. Law, if there were lawsuits or uh, building, a, trying to decide whether to, where to build new parishes, uh, we had a seminary trying to make decisions on how to um, finance and what's the best way to deal with the seminary. Um, we also had the added burden uh, that there are, are no catechetical materials printed in English um, 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 for for the parishes and no liturgical books printed in English. Those have to be produced by the diocese, at least in those days they did. Uh, and so we had to have uh, teams of people within the diocese um, putting that stuff together, and then we had to review it to make sure that it was sound. Um, yeah, it was soup to nuts. So, I mean, it certainly gave me sympathy for the uh, people that work in the chancery office because it's a, it's a unsung, uh, unsung kind of work, um, mundane in many ways until it gets to be kind of scary sometimes with some things that have to, decisions that have to be made. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, it's, I used to say it's being the housewife and mother of the church. It's doing things that have to be done every day. Um, and um, often, for the most part, nobody knows, notices that they're being done at all, uh, unless they're not being done as fast or in exactly the way the person wants it done. And then they let you know. <laughs> That's good. We, we are talking today with Father Timothy Vavrick. Uh, the pastor of St. Mary's of the Assumption Church in West. Uh, and we would invite your phone calls. Give us a call at 85-LOVE-RED-C. That's 855-683-7332. And it doesn't make any difference whether you're listening on KEDC 88.5 in the Brazos Valley or KYAR 98.3 in Central Texas or KINF 1079 FM in Palestine. Now, how long did you spend there, and how was it you got back to Texas? Well, I was, uh, so in order for a diocesan priest to go someplace other than the diocese, there has to be a mutual agreement between himself, the bishop that wants his services, and his own, and then the priest's own bishop. Uh, and so the arrangement for me was a uh, three-year uh, loan. Um, uh, and then as things developed. That got shortened by a couple months because there was a need, the bishop had a need for a pastor to come in and um, into St. Joseph's Parish in Belmead, north north side of Waco right there. Okay. Um, and uh, so uh, January of 1992, um, I um, came as pastor to, to Belmead. So Belmead, Lacey Lakeview, Elmont, um, Chalk Bluff. The... So you've been in that area ever since, correct? Um, well, I was there for 20 years at St. Joseph's until 2011, and then I was uh, seven years um, to, over to Gatesville and Hamilton. And then two years ago, um, October 1st, um, uh, the pastor here at West had become ill, and needed they needed to replace him mid, mid-year, and so I came over from Gatesville and Hamilton and became pastor here. So you had I, we talked a little bit. Uh, your 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 pastorate at Gatesville and Hamilton involved something that you hadn't done before too, which is p- prison ministry. Uh, right. So in Gatesville, of course, there's a large gathering of prisons. There's w- mostly women's prisons and one men's prison. 
um, total of 12 prisons, um, population of 8,000 uh, prisoners, and you know, hundreds of um, uh, corrections officers. Um, and the Catholic presence had greatly declined there. Um, and one guy can only get to so much. Um, and they can't move the prisoners around. You know, you can't have the well go, go across the street, and the priest is going to be over there at that prison. You all go over there and have mass with them. No, no, you have to go to all twelve of these places to see all twelve groups. Uh, and even then, you've only seen the ones that have, you know, are kind of in the general population. You're not seeing the people in solitary confinement at all. Mm-hmm. So after I'd been there well, a couple of years, the diocese was able to um, get some staffing. Um, and Deacon Ronnie Lastovica from down in Temple, and uh, currently Father Harry Dean, um, are visiting those people on a week, on a daily basis, getting to all the units on a weekly basis. They now have over, I don't know, six or eight hundred people coming to the regular masses that they're doing. Plus, they are also have the time to go into the solitary confinement and are seeing, you know, scores of people uh, who don't get out at all. So Is, yeah, it's a real. Yeah. Is there a way that lay people can be in that ministry other than the, uh, I don't remember what the, the, uh, the what is it, the, there's a retreat that's given at some, some... There's various types of groups that come in to give retreats, but yes, there's room for lay people to volunteer to help do religious, religious education. You can, you can certainly contact the Diocese of Austin and um, ask to talk to the criminal justice people, and they can put you in touch with the right okay. folks. Uh, but that's always a, uh, always a need. And you, um, from there, you you came to West, and uh, you've been there about two years. And yes. this uh, this was your first assignment where you had a uh, a parochial school, correct? Well, this is the first time I had a parish that had like lots of people. In it. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been pastor. Um, I mean, Bellmead was maybe four or five hundred families, um, uh, and um, Gatesville and Hamilton are one hundred and forty families in Gatesville and forty families in Hamilton. Um, so, yeah, I know I have 1,200 families here plus a school with about 120 kids, um, 250 kids more or less in religious education classes. So it's a completely different, um, you know, size operation than I've had any experience in. Wow. So this it's great. And, and you, have, you, you were telling me that you have a lot of good people on staff there in West. Oh, yeah. The people in West, I mean, the parish has been here. You know, since um, 1892, something like that, mm-hmm. um, and lots of the families here—they're—they're—they're um, they're, they're from here from those days. So um, there's a deep commitment to the parish. Uh, all kinds of volunteers doing all kinds of things. Um, and the school—we have a principal who's been in place. I think this is her 14th year. Uh, and so, yeah, there's. Um, Real solid, um, real solid uh, work being done by the folks here in the parish. Now, when when we talked earlier, uh, you talked a little bit about uh, the church and its needs today, uh, and and uh, with your your degree in uh, dogmatic theology with an emphasis on ecumenism, I think it would be very good. And, and there are a couple of words that you used uh, when we talked. One was metanoia, and another one was kenosis, and I brought up. Uh, Teleios or perfection. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you see the church's need is, and and something about those three words for us? Sure. Well, you know, it's the nature of the church is that it's a collection of fallen human beings, um, and therefore um, 
um, error, mistakes, and but also sin are ever-present realities. So the Church is always in need of purification. Um, the Reformers liked to say that the Church was always in need of re- reform, but what it's need, in need of is purification. Well, ex- explain the much. difference between that. I mean, Sure. So reform, I mean, reform can be understood in a proper sense, but it's easy to think of reform in terms of sort of rearranging the, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, we're, we're making changes. This is going to be more efficient. But, but meanwhile, there's a other, larger problems that are going unresolved. Um, so you can, ex, you, know, you can change the language of mass. You can change what inter, instruments you use, but you're not changing hearts. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you're saying it's a matter of changing hearts, and that's the basis of the word metanoia, isn't it? It is. Um, I mean, metanoia is, um, is the conversion. We could translate it. Um, uh, uh, penitence, we could translate it. Repentance, it can be translated as. Um, it's that turning around by which we turn back to God, um, uh, um, which is made possible by the gift of his, uh, of his love to us uh, through Jesus. Um, it's what Jesus called for. Um, uh, repent and believe, or be penitent and believe. And that's, that's uh, the first message he preached. Uh, I, I know in Matthew 4.17 it says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is hand. And I think in right. Luke it says, Repent and believe the gospel. So Yes, uh, in, in, indeed. And then the, but the trouble then becomes how we understand that metanoia, right? And right. in many Protestant circles, uh, repentance is understood as simply acknowledging you're a sinner and accepting Jesus as Lord. Um, but that's not how the Catholics, that's not how the Orthodox um, uh, Christians, um, like the Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, um, that's not how we understand it. Um, it's not enough to say that Jesus is Lord. It's not enough to say I'm a sinner. We've been called to share the life of Christ, to share the divine life. This requires an ongoing metanoia. Metanoia doesn't, it's not a one-time deal, accept Jesus as Lord and and now you're saved. Uh, It is a matter of living more deeply each day the life of Jesus in order to have our heart and mind transformed um, um, into, into likeness of his own. Because we are, 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 are one with Jesus. He hasn't just pardoned our sins. He's wedded him, us to himself. And the Church is the bride of Christ. And so we become one with Christ, and we share in his life, we share in his ministry, and his work of, um, of bringing the good news and of uh, helping to bring about the salvation of the world. Uh, so that's a whole lot more than just um, uh, repent. One of, the, um, one of the analogies I personally think of when I think of metanoia, because it does mean a change of mind and a change of heart, is that uh, of course correction. Uh, it, for example, if a plane takes off from an airport, it may take off to the south because that's where the wind is, and then it has to change its direction. If it keeps going to the south, say from Waco or College Stations, it's going to end up uh, in Houston or somewhere in that area. And uh, it needs to change, turn, change its direction, and, and there may be weather that it has to avoid, and it needs to change direction. And there are always these course corrections that keep happening, or in a space program, the same thing happens. And, it, you, and even at the last minute, there have to be small course corrections to make sure you get on the runway. And so metanoia, to me, is not a one-time thing. It's, it's an ongoing thing that has to happen until we reach that final destination. Right, because, in, in fact, it's a continual... The way I describe it, it's a continual purification. Um, and, and we don't we don't like to think about being purified, do we? Because that's that can be painful. 
sure, because I mean, first of all, there's the enormous problem of our of our sins, uh, but then there's all the errors and mistakes that just need to be recognized. So we, because Jesus came to give us fullness of life, which 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 means to set us free, not just of sin, although certainly of sin, but to set us free of error, so that we can we can live, uh, because we can do a lot of harm to people without recognizing the fact, because we, we simply don't know. So metanoia is this complete change of heart and mind. Um, it is, I mean, St. Paul, for me, St. Paul describes it in the Philippians, the Philippians hymn, uh, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, where he says, your attitude must be that of Christ. And then he describes the attitude of Christ, who, though he was God, did not deem his um, his godhood something to be grasped and held on to, but rather emptied himself, the the, Latin, the Greek there is kenosis, he emptied himself out and um, became a man, even to the point of death and death on a cross. Um, and for this reason, he has been exalted and given the name above every name in heaven. Um, this process of being emptied out, which really is another way of saying love, we empty ourselves out for those we love, um, to put on, to have the attitude of Christ is to put on the heart and mind of Christ, which can only happen by being united to him, and then drawn into that self-emptying love that that transforms us, um, even whatever that may entail. It always entails the cross. Yes. You know, Jesus describes this way of life for us in concrete terms in Matthew chapter 6, where he d- describes for his disciples that discipleship involves prayer, fasting or self-denial, and almsgiving or works of mercy. Um, and these three aspects of um, uh, uh, the spiritual life are, are central to our Christian identity because they are the way that metanoia is being lived. Metanoia is, uh, repentance, penitence, is our participation in Christ's kenosis and Christ's self-emptying love. And that's, that's what we're doing. Um, and that is really has to be the focus of our Christian life. Unfortunately, it's often not. Well, yeah, too, second, yeah, too often we're, what's the next thing I can do that's in the rule book? Or where can I check off the right. next, or, ne- next activity? That's right, exactly. What, what program can, I mean, how many programs have we had in the Church since the Second Vatican Council to go and renew the Church? Um, and are we any more holy than we were 50 years ago? You know, right. I'm not going to argue that we're less holy, but I'm sure not, I'm not. I'm not prepared to argue that we're more holy. And the whole point was we had a council, and the purpose of the council, as announced in the opening paragraph of the first document, the one on the liturgy, was the call to holiness and the need for us to not be conformed to the world, but be conformed to Christ. Which is Romans twelve two. Uh, yeah, and it's and it's this participation, participation in Christ's kenosis not having more things to say or do during the liturgy or more things to say or do or having votes at the parish, these are not the forms of participation that the council is primarily concerned with. So what, what does right? kenosis mean, Father Timothy? Uh, you, you talked about it, and, there, and I, when I do, was doing a little reading on this, there seems to be a very different idea of what kenosis is depending upon whether you're Catholic or Protestant. Well, you can get into all kinds of questions as to how the word use of the word kenosis in the, the uh, passage in Philippians 
uh, is interpreted. And some of those interpretations get really wide of the mark. They, they, they're suggesting that Jesus actually like put his divinity on hold <laughs> right, in order to become a man, uh, and that's certainly not what happened. Um, it, is, it does mean to be emptied. But of course, God cannot, is not emptying himself of his divinity, of his identity. He would cease to be that. Um, but he's, he lays aside the prerogatives that are his as God, and he humbles himself. Why does he do this? Out of love for us. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. And so the kenosis of, of Christ is that God the Son takes flesh and is born of Mary lives lives in poverty um in um uh, an obscure part of the world even in those days i mean i wouldn't want to have the richest house in rome it didn't have it didn't have proper heating and air conditioning uh but jesus didn't have anything like that I mean, he wasn't like he wasn't like a rich man in those times even mm-hmm. um and so on a very simple level god who created the heavens and the earth is now living uh in a dingy um town uh, and doing manual labor. Yeah, a town right? where, but not only that, a town where people thought nothing good could come from it. Right, and he, uh, but he, right, but, but not only that, he's he's obedient even to the point of death and death on a cross. So what you see here is that that um, no greater love has a man than this that he laid down his life, for, you know, for his friends. Right. This is, this is Jesus. This is Jesus spending himself for his bride. The church, that's kenosis. For us, kenosis takes the form of metanoia. It has to involve a conversion. For mm-hmm. Jesus, he could just give himself. He wasn't, he's God, and he wasn't caught up in sin. He was free to give himself to us completely, and he did so. That's his kenosis. So, we're not free to do that because we're tied up with our sins. So, so we how do we do that empty- this conversion? Father, how do we do that emptying of ourselves? I mean— there's a part that God has to do, and there's a part that we have to do. How do we do that emptying of ourselves for that type of kenosis so that metanoia can be real, that we can experience sure. a real conversion? Sure. So, yeah, without bringing in too much dogmatics, it's not the case that there's a part we do and there's a part God, God does. There is, all that happens happens by, by, God's, by God's power, right? There is a role we have in cooperating with God. Okay, we're the um, little and, little boy holding the screwdriver for the father. Uh, yeah, but that, that, sure, that, that, that'll work. Um, right, the, the little boy's not off doing it himself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only thing we ever do completely on our own power is sin. That's an As interesting Christians. thing I don't know that I've ever really heard before. Right, right. So, because God has no part of our sin, <laughs> right? But anything else that we're doing, we're doing in the Lord, and therefore it's all, it all involves the Lord. And that is the key to recognize that our daily life is a life lived in the Lord. So what do we need to do? Per Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus told us to do. Prayer, self-denial, works of mercy. Okay. So ten, attend to the people in your life and the circumstances of your life. Do your job well. Take care of the people around you. Keep an eye open for the needs of the, the poor, the marginalized. Keep an eye open for the ways in which you're being um, self-indulgent. Um, and, and then uh, certainly, uh, certainly uh, stay away from te- uh, temptation and sin, and when, when those are encountered, deal with them. Deal with them honestly and openly and as quickly as possible. Father, we've got about two minutes left, and then I know I'm interrupting you. Uh, 
Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if we're talking about metanoia and kenosis, those, how, do I, how do I establish that perfection? Does the teleos has a di- little different meaning other than what we as Americans think about as perfection, does it not? Well, it means to be fully conformed to, the, to, the, to, to Jesus, fully united to him. Um, and this is our goal. I mean, I, I mean, it was Vatican II means when it says uh, this universal called holiness. Holiness isn't part, it's whole. Right? You, you need to be completely holy. Um, only the pure of heart will see God. So the purification that's taking place in our living the life of Jesus each day has to become deeper and deeper and deeper every day. And this is a work, in terms of perfection, it's not going to be by us having the willpower to make it happen. It's going to happen by our our opening ourselves to the responding to what God is asking us to do each day, take care of our family, do our work well, be prayerful, and, and, and live the Christian life right here, right now. Um, that's how perfection comes. God has laid out a path to our, to our feet. All we have to do is walk in that path, and it will lead to our perfection. And so we got about 40 seconds left, and I need about 10 of those to say, tell everybody bye. You got any last-minute things that you want to tell us, Father? Say your prayers every day. Open your heart to the Lord. Take care of the people and the circumstances God has placed in your life. Father Timothy Baverick, thank you so much for being our guest today. I appreciate very much that you're here. Uh, Those of you that didn't get a chance to hear it all, it'll be on the podcast, and it'll be rebroadcast on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock on these stations. Thank you so much. This is Gene Wilhelm reminding you that whenever you're choosing between the values of heaven and the values of earth, always round up. But there was a fire that burned bright.